Praise God. Thanks for being here tonight. How many of you, is this your uh, first time here for this uh, Campus Days event? Would you raise your hand? Wow, very good. Well, we welcome you, and uh, thank you for coming. We had over 300 uh, guests this morning, and um, looked like maybe another 100 uh, uh, people raised their hand, so welcome. Thank you, Daniel and team, for the praise and worship and the choir. It's awesome. Daniel's done a great job. He leads our praise and worship, and uh, he's just brought it up to a new level here the last couple of years, and we're excited. But also, uh, Daniel runs our healing school on Thursday afternoon. So, Daniel, why don't you just share a little bit about healing school? Every Thursday afternoon, we meet right here in this auditorium. And uh, Carly and Ashley Terradez helped me with the healing school. And tell you what, it has just been such a tremendous blessing to be able to train our students in how to minister to the sick. We've, got, we've gone through now, I think, almost 400 students um, we did uh, two batches of 180 students each, and then we've done some additional training as well. So uh, it's awesome to see the students doing the ministering. Amen? And we are seeing amazing results because you know what? The truth is that every believer should be living in this lifestyle of laying hands on the sick. That should be the new normal. Amen? Amen. Actually, kind of the old normal, but the new normal. And uh, so we just thank God for a place where we can take Andrew's teaching and we can put it into application and we can see the results. And I tell you what, it's been exciting to see people. Uh, we've had blind eyes open. We've had deaf ears open. We've had every kind of sickness and disease. We had a young girl healed of Tourette's syndrome. We've seen people healed of MS. We've seen people healed of cancer over and over and over again. I'm telling you, there is no name that's higher than the name of Jesus. We just have to believe it and receive it. Amen? So... Every Thursday afternoon, and we live stream the healing school. I feel like this is a crutch or something right here, you know. <laughs> we live stream the healing school. And so um, on the Internet, you can, uh, I don't know if it's tune in is the proper word. Maybe click on would be the better word. But anyway, at 1 o'clock our time, every Thursday afternoon, we're going to be here. And we have different speakers who speak. Sometimes we do uh, panels where Pastor Greg Moore and Carly and Ashley and myself all answer questions that have been asked. You know, a lot of people don't like to address healing because sometimes it gets messy. You know, what about my Aunt Susie? She was believing God and she died and she was the best Christian I ever knew. You know, well, we just don't talk about that. Praise God. You know, well, we do. Amen. Because not, we're not claiming that we have all the answers, but we know somebody who does. Amen. And what we don't understand now, we know that we know that we know it's always God's will to heal. And so it's never God who's in a bad mood one day or, you know, sovereignly, quote unquote, has decided not to heal today because it's Thursday. Amen. He always, always, always does what he does because the truth is the work's already been done. And so really, he's just waiting for us to get our receiver tuned in and then be able to receive. So, Gary, we thank God for the opportunity to be able to have the healing school. And we are also taking the healing school on the road this summer. Our first time that we ever went out was Kansas City, I think back in November, and had a tremendous response on that. And so we're going to be taking the healing school this summer to Minneapolis. On June 14th, we'll be in Minneapolis. And then August the 9th, we will be in uh, Santa Clara, California. 
So uh, we're really excited about what God is doing. And again, it's not one person who's doing it, but it's God who's doing it through our students. And I just love that. I feel like a, like a dad. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why. Grandpa, um, a couple of my friends just recently met some of my students from the 1980s. And they said, Daniel Amstutz, oh, we consider him our grandpa in the faith. <laughs> because their pastor was one of my students. And so they figured out that it's gone past father. It's now grandpa. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about that. But, you know, it's all good. Amen. God is good. Amen. All right. Thank you, Daniel. As you can tell, we're excited about what's going on here. And um, just so you know, we've already had eight people register to come to school already. So we've had four of them that are here with us and four of the online audience uh, watching in. So congratulations to those of you. I don't think that's ever happened that uh, on the very first day of the event, we've had people register. So there's a lot of good things happening. Matter of fact, we have over 110 people registered to start in the fall of 2013. So we just think that's just going to continue to grow. And again, we are excited about what's happening. I have a giveaway here. And this is a little backpack or a back sack. I'm not sure what it is. But it does say Karis Bible College. And you know what I'd like to do is give this to the youngest person that is here tonight. So if you are under 16 years old, <laughs> come on up here. You're going to get this, aren't you? Okay, can you fake? Come on up here. One more step. Turn around. Can you tell us your name and how old you are? Um, I'm Eliana and I'm five. You're five. And where are you from? Georgia. All the way from Georgia. That is yours, and we believe you're going to come to CBC when you're 18 years old. So we're just planting some seed. <laughs> Amen. Have one other. Um, here's a tape series, and what uh, reminded me of this is what Andrew spoke on this morning. And um, this is called The Lessons from Elijah. I hope you don't mind me giving this away. Did you want to do it? Okay. This is Andrew's tape series or CD series on lessons from Elijah. And the very first CD is a place called there. It's exactly what he spoke on uh, this morning. And there are five CDs. And let me tell you something, this will change your life. Over 10 years ago, I came out to Colorado for a vacation. And I happened to stop by the ministry at that time. And um, I visited with uh, David Hardesty. And uh, I don't know, were you here, Gail, as well? And um, just started visiting with them, and we were inquiring about uh, the ministry and the school, and I was looking for something different, etc. So I had a great conversation with David. He's the general manager, chief operating officer of the ministry. And um, after that conversation, he sent me home with this exact series. And all the way home back to Iowa, we listened to this, and we have five children. At that time, they were ages like 12 down to 2. In that, and uh, we were in our van, and we'd listen to, my wife and I would listen to one, and then for the kids' sake, we'd uh, listen to Adventures, in the, uh, Adventures of Odyssey, and, uh, and then we'd come back to this one, Adventures of Odyssey, and you know what? Within two months, I made the decision that I can do this. With God's help, I can do this. It really ministered to me. So 
If that message that Andrew spoke this morning bore witness with anybody, if you're serious that you're thinking about it, you know you want something different, you know there's more to life than what you're doing, this will put you over the edge. How many of you want to be put over the edge? Wow, we should give everybody one of these. If this is all it takes. All right, well, somebody needs to give this one away. I don't know where to go with it. You signed up. Well, you already got a gift. You don't need it. You've already committed. You've already made the decision. Good job. It is. It's a wonderful series. It did. It's part of what changed my life and uh, my family's life. So it's powerful. And, you know, we could talk about the school as staff members. Um, those of you who were at the lunch in the little program, uh, we had some of the staff share about what's going on. You heard some of the teachers this morning, etc. But one of the most powerful things we could do is just let you hear from other students. So I've asked Penny if she would come on up. Penny, this is Penny. She is a second-year student. And uh, just to share what the school's done and how it's changed her life or is changing her life. Amen. Oh. Um, my story is a little different probably than most. Um, I had some friends that came out here to go to school and, um, I got an email in October, late October of 2012, no, 11. And, um, they said, we just believe you're supposed to be going to school with us. We want to pay your tuition and we want you to live with us. What they didn't know is I had been begging God God, isn't there something left for me? Don't you have anything? And um, that email came a few days later. And I talked with my kids. They were ecstatic. And they said, Mom, you got to go. So I did. I got here, and these people prayed in tongues, and I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> Better yet, I didn't know who Andrew Womack was. <laughs> Not a clue. And... Uh, I just kept watching, and I saw something in the students and in the faculty here that I had been missing at home. I have been in the church my whole life. I accepted Jesus as a young child. My Christians were godly pe- my excuse me, my parents were godly people. We were taught to read the Bible, but we missed something. And what we were missing, I found in the school, after being here a little while, I started thinking, man, what Bible was I reading? I, I mean, I started seeing things for the first time, and Things that I knew well, but I didn't understand them. And then um, Daniel called me out one day (laughs) in the middle of a bunch of people. And um, I just, you know, I didn't know what to do because I didn't even know what questions to ask. But I just kept telling the Lord, I want everything. I want everything you've got for me, Lord. And um, during worship, things happen to me during worship. Worship is a passion of mine. Things happen to me. On the platform, standing right back there. All of a sudden, something was coming out of me, and it wasn't English, but I knew something was very, very real. And you know what? The Lord just was so wonderful and just enveloping me. And then I ran right to the dean of women's office and said, I need help. I don't even know what this is. And very gently, she began to explain to me. And, you know, it's when you don't have the questions to ask, you, you really do need someone to guide you. And the, the staff here guide you. The students here guide you. These are some of the best friends I've ever had. Um, We're so like-minded, and I can't compare them to the relationships I had at home. But here's where it gets really good. When somebody sows a seed into you, 
it just keeps going. Um, my son had come out here, and he went, this is good, Mom. It's good for you. And then we'd call, he'd call on the phone, and he would say, you sound different, Mom. My daughter would call, and she'd say, you sound different, Mom. But there was always the but. Well, my son ended up out here for the worship conference and liked what he heard, didn't agree with all he heard. But that was okay. The Lord was still working in his heart. On the way home, he said, Lord, 1,400 miles, you've got a long way to drive, a lot of time to talk to God. And he had brought what I called my adopted son with him, who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit here during the conference. And um, he said, Lord, I want everything you've got. For the next two hours, he prayed in tongues. God is so good. I got home this summer. And my daughter finally said, I don't want to hear any more about it, Mom. If God's that good, why didn't I get healed at 9? Because I didn't pray right? And I said, no, it's not that at all. I said, if you want to blame anybody, blame me. I didn't know. I said, but I could blame my pastor. and We can't do that. I said, we just didn't know. But I said, God's so good. Well, hmm, about November, she called me and she said, I had a dream last night, Mom. And I said, okay. And she said, I was speaking in a different language. <laughs> I said, cool. She went, what does that mean? And I went, I think you're seeking God and he's answering. She said, okay, that freaks me out. And I said, that's okay. Um, she was coming out here in January. Friday before she came, she called me again and she said, Mom, I had that same dream again. And I woke up and I was still speaking in this Hebrew kind of sound and... <laughs> You know what? God loves our families. It's going to go further. My son and his friends just started a church, a spirit-filled church at home. They haven't even been here, but I keep giving them all your books, <laughs> as many teachings as I can. I mean, they're excited. They're going to wait and see what God's going to do. And God has performed miracle after miracle, and that's just my little world. But it keeps going. So I praise God for that. This is a great place to be. You really need to be here if you're thinking about it. You need to have faith that you'll put here because God put me here, and I didn't even know what this was. So he's good. Thank you, Penny. That's a great testimony, what God's doing. That's awesome. And uh, what we have next is um, just a short video. It's about four minutes long. And um, Jeff and Autumn, they're in our marketing, and uh, they run help run our media school. They put together a, a little video of um, a student that graduated just several years ago. But um, a little background to the story. Mom and Dad also came to the school with them about four years ago. They graduated, and um, it's just another powerful testimony of what the Lord is doing in people's lives. So if we could go ahead and show that video. This is of Catherine O'Brien, and uh, their mom and dad aren't here, not on the video, but they're uh, Tom and Leslie O'Brien as well. We good? I grew up in a church knowing about Jesus, knowing what he did for me. But to learn about grace is something I didn't really understand. So I was like, okay, cool, I know Jesus, and I'm good, I'm going to heaven, that's great. But kind of still kept at a distance, because for me, I'm like an all or nothing kind of person. And I knew that if I really gave everything, like everything would change in my life. I'm Catherine O'Brien, and I'm a world changer. So I went through high school and um, just grew up having fun with my friends. And I was kind of happy with the whole go to church, but still 
be in control of a lot of other things. On New Year's, my senior year, my parents had a Bible study at our house, and I was going to have a party afterwards with all of my friends. I remember coming downstairs, and I had on this little like black dress and high heels and did not look godly at all. And one of my dad's really good friends and mentors came up to me and said, you are so beautiful. Will you take a picture with my wife? And I remember thinking, I do not look like beautiful in like a good way, you know? Later that night, I was like totally drunk. And I remember looking in the mirror and um, like who was looking back at me, I knew it wasn't me. And I remember having this thought like, who is that? And being like, now I'm a Christian, like this whole battle like raging in my heart. I remember God saying like, that's my grace. Like in my mess and in my like ugliest times, God said like, you're beautiful. I actually gave my life to him that night, I had this crazy encounter with God. And I'm like, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> because like I said, I'm like all or nothing. And like in that moment, I made that decision to just be like everything. He just spoke to me and it wasn't like an audible voice and I never heard God like this. And it was just like move to Colorado and go to Karis Bible College. So um, coming to school, it was just like this whole new reality. Like I remember thinking, I don't know how to do anything anymore. Like I had to throw like all my old clothes away because like they're not appropriate to wear. And like, God had to reteach me a lot of things. And so I was just in this place of being like so vulnerable, but so hungry because I had no idea that any of this stuff was out there. And so I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I have like two years just to date Jesus and just for him to renew my mind and teach me who I am. Just to have simple truth taught in a way that was so life-changing was a huge deal. And to be around people that were just like, I want to learn more about the Lord and grow my relationship. And we don't totally have a plan, but he said this, so that's what we're going to do. It was really encouraging to be in that atmosphere. I say time and time again, Jesus, you're so smart because you sent me to Karis. And I think it's so important because experiencing God and like the presence of God and all these different things are so important, but really learning like foundational truth in the scripture and the word. Like I'm all for having like crazy encounters with the Lord, but then it has to be joined with the word of God. And I really felt like that's something that Karis Bible College really goes for. I'm really happy that I went to Karis and would tell anyone to go if that's what God says. I've been to 15 countries in two years. I, that doesn't happen unless God just does it. Change your life, change the world. The world. <laughs>
to change her life. So it's a healthy place to be. You know, that's the first time I'd heard Penny's testimony. Every time I hear a student test, I've never heard a single student yet that I just am not amazed at what they've gone through to get here and what happens and all of the different ramifications. I tell you, it's just, it's awesome what God's doing. And I wanted to share with you briefly tonight, we're going to receive an offering and give you an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing here. But um, part of this is that there's just so many people coming. I really believe that this, this last year we had the fires here in Colorado. The mayor today made a reference to that. And because of that, we usually get, I'm not sure how many, but it's probably somewhere around at least a quarter to 50% or something like that of the students that sign up, sign up through our summer family Bible conference. And we had to cancel that this last year because of the fires And then on top of that, our facility is just about maxed out. So we couldn't, you know, I don't believe God will send us people if we can't accommodate them. So we've been in the process for three years of trying to deal with this. And we are now building a Bible college campus up in Woodland Park, Colorado. It's about a 30-minute drive from here. It's a beautiful place. Do we have any of the pictures of that? Do we have? I don't know what we've got here. I'm putting them on the scene. But anyway, I tell you what, let's do this. We've got a four minute and 13 second, I believe, update of the construction that's going on up there. We're going to be building a total of 220,000 square feet. This whole facility here is 110,000. So the facility in Woodland Park will be twice the size of this one. And we will still keep this office building for our Andrew Womack Ministries that all of CBC will be moving up there. So we are going to have twice as much space as this entire building up there. It's going to be awesome. This first building that we're building is 90,000 square feet. The second building will be one and a half times the size of this first one. And I tell you, I've been up there and uh, seeing what they're doing. And, and um, I tell you, it, it looks huge right now. It's hard to believe that we've got another building come that's one and a half times this size. But I really believe we're going to need it. And, uh, you know, I don't know what our enrollment... Gary said we had 110 already signed up for uh, August or September of this year. But, you know, we could have another 200 or so sign up or 300. We could have 300 people in our first year class along with everybody else. Man, we need this place in a hurry. So have you got a video? Let's watch this. And this is showing you the construction that's going on in uh, Woodland Park, Colorado. Hello, this is another update on our construction here at the sanctuary on this building that I've called the barn. This is the 7th of March, and as you can see, there's a lot of activity going on today. They're pouring uh, two-thirds of this slab for the um, second floor here on our building. This is a 90,000-square-foot building, and so we've already got all of the basement walls erected. And they poured one-third of this slab. Now they're doing the other two-thirds today. As you can see, it's a lot being done. Uh, On the 13th of March is when the precast walls on this north, uh, on the west side and the north side over to where our um, uh, electrical and all of the uh, mechanical building is, they're going to erect this precast walls. And then immediately along with that, they will be doing all of this um, steel work. They'll be tying all of these things together. And underneath here, they are working on the slab on grade, which is the foundation for the bottom level. 
They're putting in all of the electrical and all of the plumbing and things like that. And they're uh, planning on that slab on grade being done at the beginning of April. And then somewhere around the 19th of March, this area where you see that they're pouring right here, this is going to be an open area and it's going to be a 1500 seat auditorium. And up above it, there are wooden beams. And these wooden beams will arrive on the 19th of March. They will be staging them over there and assembling them and putting them together. And somewhere around the first or the second week of March, they will actually be erecting these wooden beams up there. And um, they will be all assembling that on the second week of April. Somewhere around the end of April, I think, is when they're planning on having the roof on this thing. So work is really going forward here. It's really uh, doing good. They've also got all of the plumbing and the sewage and stuff. The ground is warm enough that they're going through and working on that. And so they've got people working all over this property. We've got this big crane over here that's been erecting the steel. When the uh, trusses arrive, these wood trusses that'll be spanning this auditorium, they will also have a um, crane here for erecting those. And so in the next uh, maybe two months, we are going to see this thing go all the way up and shortly thereafter actually have the roof on. Then they will begin to start putting in all of the interior things like that. And the projection date is still good for November the 15th. Matter of fact, right now they're a little bit ahead of schedule, but, you know, all kinds of things can happen. So it's awesome to see what's happening. We are getting a lot of things done here. Again, I want to thank all of you who are making this possible. Uh, I just got a preliminary update. This isn't final. We'll be giving more details as we go along. But the last time I made any kind of an update about this, we were $7.2 million away from having this completed. I think that's down now to about $6 million. So praise God, we are making progress. And as you can tell, it's just going to be a beautiful view here. Uh, it's going to be all glass along that southern wall over there. And it's going to be a great, great thing. So, again, thank you for all of your support. We do need people to continue to support us. Uh, I know that $6 million sounds like a huge amount of money, and it is. But we are talking about millions of people who watch my program on a daily basis. If you were just to do whatever you feel God inspires you to do, a $10, $20 gift from every person who watches and is blessed would be more than enough to pay for this whole thing. So I'm uh, just excited to be giving you an update on what's happening. Things are coming along. Thank you for being a part of it. And praise God, we'll give you another update in, say, three weeks or so. God bless you. God bless you. Hello, this is... <laughs> One update's enough. Let's see, Randy, have you also got the little 38-second time-lapse thing? I'd like to show you this. Since I made that just in the last, well, let's see, since the 7th, it's about two weeks or something, they've now put up those walls on the uh, north. So if you could, could you play that? Let's go. This is pretty neat.
Lord. So, you know, many people don't deal with these kind of figures that I'm talking about, and they're just overwhelmed by these numbers. But look at it this way. This, this whole project uh, for both of these buildings and everything is going to be 52-point-something, $53 million. And the first step is $32 million, even though it's the smaller building because we had to do all of the infrastructure. We had to do so many other things. And so... Uh, the first step of this $53 million project is 32, and we are only $6 million away from it. That means that we're 80% of the way there. And I, the way I look at it is, if, you know, we've got all kinds of other things we're doing. We've added, David could give you the exact figures, but we've added lots of television. We've added a second broadcast on Daystar which is, I don't know, 80000 plus per month, just the money we put out, and then we have to have all of the resources to support it. So we've increased our normal overhead a lot in the last year or two, and on top of all of our other expansion and everything we're doing, we've already brought in $26 million extra dollars. So the way I look at it is $6 million to go is not a big thing. And I believe we're going to do it, and we're going to have it done on time, and we're doing it all debt-free. We aren't taking out any loans on any of this. So, boy, what a blessing. So anyway, tonight, uh, the offering's not designated specifically for this building, but it will be going towards CBC. It'll be going towards all of the things that CBC does, and, of course, this is a large part of it. So I'd like to encourage you to just uh, be a part of it. And like I said, you know, if everybody just gives whatever God leads you to do, it's going to be more than enough. We reach many, many people, so nobody has to, uh, you know, just sacrifice everything. It's not necessarily according to what you don't have. It's just what you do have. Just share a little bit of it. And if you'll do that, we're going to be blessed, and you'll be blessed to be a part of this. So if you'd like an offering envelope, if you'll hold your hand up, we've got ushers here that will share with you. And I encourage you to get some seed in the ground. Get some seed in this ministry because it's good and it's changing people's lives. So this offering envelope is primarily for cash giving. There's a place on there that if you fill it out in English, not in tongues, we'll get you a tax-deductible receipt. And there's also a place on there that you can give by a credit card if you desire to do so. We don't encourage anybody to give money you don't have, but if you just use a credit card and for convenience and pay it off. That would be just awesome. So, uh, and also, uh, if you're making out a check, you can make it out to Andrew Womack Ministries or AWM, and the information on your check should be sufficient to be able to get you a receipt. Praise God. And, you know, again, this isn't about buildings. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to build a legacy. That's not what this is about. We just need buildings. You know, this building, when we moved from the previous facility, it was 14,600 square feet. And I remember that there was people when we moved into here, they thought, you are dreaming too big. You're never going to use all of this. this. We felt like a BB in a barrel when we first moved into here. But you know what? I remember telling people, I said, you give us five years and we're going to be struggling to accommodate it. And it was probably six years. I might have missed it a little bit. But six years after we were in here, we were already making plans to go somewhere else. And we couldn't do what we're doing. Just think of Catherine O'Brien's testimony, Penny, and everybody else. Did you know that this facility 
is a vital part of doing the things that we've done. And, you know, we try and do our facility nice. We, we treat everything really good. I'm proud of what we've got, but it's not extravagant. We haven't wasted money or done anything. We aren't into buildings. We're just into people. But in order to develop the people and do the things that we need to do, we need a facility. And I tell you, this is going to be a great experience uh, for people to come and sit under the Word. So if you're considering coming to Bible college, you know what? You will be able to graduate out of this first building up there at Woodland Park. So you'd be one of the very first classes to ever graduate out of there. So that would be quite a deal. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray over this offering. Father, we love you and we thank you for the awesome things that you're doing. Thank you for the Word of God and the power that's in the Word and the way that it's just changing people's lives. Thank you for this opportunity to touch people's lives. And Father, we believe that you're going to give us the tools that we need in order to be able to train even more people, that we'll never have to turn people away, that we'll make their experience here an awesome experience. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And I pray that you speak to people here tonight that they would give, that they would sow seed, help us to reach out. And at the same time, I believe that you bless every single person back abundantly so that every one of their needs is met in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. You can receive the offering. Hallelujah. This is my wife, Jamie, that's on the piano. We've been married for 40 years. We're now into our 41st year of marriage. She's my first, best, and last wife. Amen. And I tell you, God has been super, super good to us. So she's going to minister in music, and then I'll come back and share the word. blessed me. We were in Dallas in November. That's originally where I'm from, if you can tell. That's why I sing and don't talk very much. So we were in Dallas and a man came up to me and and he was probably older than he looked. I'd say he was 40, could have been in his 50s. And he sat down and, and he had a long ponytail and he said last year, which would have been 2011, he said, I got born again through Andrew's TV program and he said I came to your seminar and he said and you sang a song I had never heard before in my life and he said I think it was called Jesus Loves Me and he said I just cried and he said I bought somebody helped me buy the tape and then he said and so every time I hear it I just cry and it was just I just thought that was sweet I said we just it's a timeless song, isn't it? And I don't take it for granted anymore that uh, somebody may not know it. But if you know it, sing it with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus he loves me. Bible tells me so. 
Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you know, 45 years ago tonight, I was 18 years old, and I was just three days away from the experience that totally changed my life. It was March the 23rd, 1968, that God rang my bell. And 45 years ago tonight, I didn't have a clue what was coming. It was like a... um, Something huge, and I wasn't even aware that anything was happening. I can't even remember what I was doing exactly uh, tonight, 45 years ago. And I was thinking down here uh, that uh, there are some of you that, you know what, I believe God has got something huge in store for you. Your life is changing. Could be this week or... But anyway, it's coming, and some of you don't know, but just as surely as God just totally transformed my life, I believe there is a total transformation coming for some of you. And I tell you, God can change your life like that. I had been seeking the Lord for about a year and a half trying to find out His will for my life, and in December of 1967, God had given me the first scripture that He ever spoke to me that just came alive. And I mean, I knew it was God speaking to me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And for four months, I had just been living that scripture and saying, God, help me to commit myself as a living sacrifice. And then on March the 23rd, 1968, I mean, God showed up and just turned me inside out. And a lot of things happened. But the number one thing I took away from it was that I just came to know that Jesus loved me. If you would have asked me 45 years ago tonight... Did Jesus love me? I'd have said, certainly. I got born again when I was eight years old, and I believe God loved me, and I lived my life like God loved me to the degree that I had a revelation. But there's a difference about just knowing about God's love and experiencing God's love. And one of the things we try and communicate here in the school is not about just knowledge. Now, we put a tremendous emphasis on you've got to know the truth and the truth that you know sets you free. So I'm not downplaying that you have to understand what you don't know is killing you. Some of you don't fully appreciate what I'm saying right there, but God loves you so passionately and wants to do so many wonderful things in your life. And you don't, if you don't know that, if you don't know how to cooperate with him, you can limit God. You can stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life. So if you would have asked me 45 years ago, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Yes, but man, I experienced God's love in a way that totally, totally changed my life. And it was an emotional experience, which not everybody has an emotional experience. And you know, here we don't preach 
just having some kind of an emotional catastrophic or that people call it an epiphany. That's not what we try and get people to do uh, because not everybody has something like that. And let me say that if all I would have experienced was this encounter with the Lord where I felt that he loved me and for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the presence of God. I mean, I never slept more than an hour at a time for four and a half months. I never sat down and ate a meal. I, I was wasted. I was useless for anything else. And uh, if that's all that would have happened to me, you'd have never seen me on television. We wouldn't have had a Karis Bible College. It wouldn't have lasted. You can't live off of just an emotion. You have to get the truth and you have to base your life on facts and on what the Word of God says and not just some kind of an emotion. Now, we don't deny emotion and we don't say that you shouldn't have it, but we make the pivotal thing. You've got to know the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. But I had this tremendous experience, but after four and a half months, it wore off. And some people think that's terrible. It's really not. God doesn't want you. I mean, I, I would be absolutely useless if I was still that same way. You know, when Jamie and I first got married, we just loved each other. We still, we love each other much more now than we ever have, but it's changed. It's matured over a period of time. When we first got married, we used to do silly things. We'd just sit and look at each other. <laughs> we used to look at each other in a spoon and you turn it one way and you're kind of fat and you turn it the other way and you're skinny and we would do things. I remember chasing her through the house and and bumped her into a door, hit her rear on the door knob, and she fell, and I fell on top of her toe and broke her toe. <laughs> and then I was going to pray for her, and she says, you ask forgiveness first. She made me pray for forgiveness before I pray for her toe. You know what? It's been 40 years since I broke your toe. We don't do that anymore. We love each other much more than we did, but it grows and it matures. And you know what? I experienced some things from God that were just awesome. But you can't live that way. You can't live to where you're just totally caught up in a fog and you, you can't eat or sleep and you never go more than an hour at a time sleeping because you're so excited. You, you know, you can't live that way. I know some of you right now are saying, no, I want that. I'm telling you, I've met a lot of people when I share my testimony that have come and said they've had something similar to that happen. And yet, because they didn't get in the Word and because they didn't get the stability of the Word, they become, in a sense, like a junkie. You got to go and get another fix. You got to have another high. You got to have God jump through a bigger hoop. You got to have Him touch you in some greater way. And you go from pit to pit. And you just are constantly going around seeking something from God and it'll ruin you. It'll destroy your life. That is not really the way that God wants us to live. And a lot of people think, oh, I'd just love to have that. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the Word, the Word is what changed my life. This experience with the Lord got my attention. It showed me He was real. It showed me that, that spiritual things were much more real than tangible things, but it's the Word of God that gave me stability and totally changed my life. And that's the reason we have a Bible college trying to teach these basic truths. So anyway, what I want to share with you is that after I experienced this love, and for about four and a half months, I just enjoyed it. I didn't have to worry about anything because I could literally close my eyes and it's like I could reach out and touch Jesus. He was just there. I could see Him. I could feel Him 24 hours a day. 
But after four and a half months, the sensation, the emotion of it wore off. And then I had to start trying to understand how could God love me? And the scripture says, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, that as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the direction it's going because of the way you think. Not because of what other people do to you or don't do to you. It's not that wife that God gave you. It's not any of these other things that people use as an excuse. Your life goes the direction it goes because of the way you think. And even though I had experienced the love of God, my thinking hadn't changed other than the sense that now I understood God was real in a way I didn't understand before and I knew that he had loved me, but I still had the same doctrine in me. And this doctrine was dragging me down. And if you were to read some of my letters, my mother died in 2009 and my sister gave me some letters that she had that I wrote from Vietnam. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. And this is after I had this experience with the Lord. But it was because I was wanting to get back into that place with God and I didn't know the word. And so I was begging and pleading with God, thinking he's forgotten me, that he put me on a shelf, that he hated me because I didn't have the same experience. I thought, what have I done to offend him and things like this? And man, I lived in desperation for a period of time until God began to start opening up the word to me. And if I hadn't have begun to understand some of these things right here, I would have totally lost this. As a matter of fact, that wonderful experience would have been a tremendous downer. Like, why did God do that? What have I done that he won't do it anymore? And so I want to share some things with you here that just literally transformed my life. And um, I have ministered, I bet you I could minister for 10 or 20 hours out of a few verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to skip part of them because if I read them, I'll minister on them. These are the verses that God used to change my life. But let me just quickly quote this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That verse sparked a fire on the inside of me that opened up my understanding and helped me to start understanding the Word of God like I never had before. I've got a whole series entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. And then in the next verse, in verse 18, it says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. You need to get the terminology here and think about this. Most people read this as God has made reconciliation available. He is in the process of reconciling us or you can be reconciled to God, but they don't read it the way that it says. It says, and all things are of God. This is talking about in your born again spirit. Everything on the inside of you is totally a work of God. Most people can't see that because they only look on the surface. They look in the mirror and they search their emotions, but there's another part of you, the spirit, that is completely of God, that is ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, identical to Jesus. In the Spirit, you are identical to Jesus. It is the Spirit of His Son sent into your heart. And in that Spirit realm, all things, not some things, but all things that are in your born-again Spirit are of God. Most people don't see themselves this way. You know, Paul, up here in the 16th verse, he says... Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. 
This is old English for saying we don't know people now based on just the external, on the color of their skin, on their height, whether they're male or female, whether they're educated or uneducated. We don't know people based on these external things. We know people heart to heart. We know them who they are in the spirit. Boy, if we could learn that lesson today, this would eliminate prejudice. It would eliminate all kinds of problems. But people judge others on the way they look, on the way they talk, on different things like this. But he says, we don't know people that way. At one time we knew Jesus by the flesh, but now we know him by the spirit. I've preached for three hours on that one verse, amen. But anyway, back to verse uh, 18, it says, all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto God. It's already been done. You are not in the process of being reconciled unto God. God has already, past tense, reconciled you unto himself. The word reconciled is a word that we don't use a lot today, but it means to bring into harmony or to make friendly. You know, we had all of these musicians up here and all of the choir. What would have happened if they had all been singing on different notes? Man, it wouldn't have been enjoyable. It wouldn't have been pleasurable. One of the things that makes this good is because it was all harmonizing. They may have sang a different note, but it was in harmony with the other one. God has reconciled us, brought us into harmony to where he is no longer displeased. It doesn't grate on him to hear your prayers and stuff. He has reconciled you unto himself. Another definition of reconcile means to uh, make agreeable or to say the same thing. Like when you take a bank statement and you put that together with your checkbook and you reconcile your account to the bank statement, you're making them to where they come into harmony, where they're saying the same thing. To make friendly again is another definition of reconcile. God has already made you friendly to himself. I know some of you are thinking, man, I'm not sure about this because from your perspective, he's not friendly. We've been taught the wrong thing by religion. Religion has taught us that God is angry at you and that God may love you, yeah, if you do everything right and if you come to church and if you pay your tithes and if you do this and this and this, but you do something wrong and the wrath of God's going to come upon you. You know what? That's not reconciled. That's not friendly. Most people don't understand how God feels towards us. We think God is similar to a person who loves us as long as everything is being done correctly. But you get out of line and boy, God forsakes you. God isn't like that. God has already reconciled you, made you friendly, brought you into harmony has reconciled you. And how did he do it? Look at this. It says, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Every minister should be telling people about God's love for them and how he's not mad at you anymore and that God's not in a bad mood. Amen. He's not upset. And we ought to be telling people about the love of God. This is the ministry of reconciliation that God's given us. Not that you can be reconciled. If you will do all of these things, then God will accept you. The moment you start putting conditions upon it, I guarantee you people exempt themselves because they they don't doubt that God exists and they don't doubt that maybe he would love you if you were worth loving, but your own conscience will condemn you and keep you at arm's length from this love of God. 
So he's already given us this ministry. And in verse 19, it says to wit, that means that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. And how did he do it? Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us this word of reconciliation. Did you know that this word right here goes contrary to nearly all religion, all Christian religion? Nearly all of the Christian religion, not all of it, but a vast majority of it today believes that God holds sin against you. And if you don't believe that, just go anywhere. I mean, uh, spirit-filled churches, Pentecostal churches, people that believe in healing. If you were to go and if they have a sickness in their body and if you say, why hadn't God healed you? Oh, well, I've sinned. I've got something in my life. And we immediately believe that if we have sin in our life, if we fail, that God's not going to answer your prayers. God won't move through you. I've told people before that I've seen people raised from the dead, blind eyes open. I've seen miracles happen and people immediately look at you and size you up and think you don't look holy enough. And they have this concept that if you raise somebody from the dead, you must float about an inch or two above the ground that you don't have problems like other people do. And then they see your failures and they see your weaknesses and they just doubt that God could use you. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of ministers that have committed uh, sexual sins, stolen money, gone to jail, things have happened. And every time that happens, I have people write in, I thought he was a man of God. I thought God used him. And then you find out that he was going out with prostitutes or something like that. And they say, it must have all been a lie. Why? Because you believe God won't use a dirty vessel. You believe God wouldn't flow through somebody with a problem in their life. That's the reason God doesn't use you. <laughs> because you have this standard that I've got to be holy and worthy for God to use me and your own conscience condemns you and keeps you from experiencing it. I'm guarantee, I am guarantee you that God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And you aren't going to be the first one. Now, there is a flip side to this coin. I'm not going to spend time on this tonight. But yes, you need to live holy and stuff, not because God changes his attitude towards you when you live holy, but it makes your attitude towards God change. You clog up the pipe when you begin to start living in sin. You live under condemnation. You give Satan a free shot at you, and there's many consequences to your sin. But one of them isn't that God rejects you. God does not reject you. He has already reconciled you unto himself. And how did he do it? He didn't impute your sins unto you. What does that mean? The word impute is an accounting term. And it literally means to record or to put on the ledger, to keep record of. You know, in the old days, they used to go in and they'd say, put that on my tab and you'd charge something. Today, what we would use is we talk about a credit card. And when you go get something, you give them your credit card. But did you know when you give them your credit card, you have not paid for that? What you did on that credit card, that little magnetic strip, has information about you that they send to the credit card company and it records the transaction and stuff. And then your credit card company sends you a bill and you have to pay 
that bill. When you use the credit card, you didn't pay for anything. All you did was get it imputed unto you. It was recorded against you. It's now on the books. You owe it. You have a debt that you have to pay. If you don't believe that that's so, just don't pay your credit card bill when it comes because tell them you've already paid it. Tell them you've already given your credit card to them and that you don't have anything else. And I guarantee you, they'll come after you. You haven't paid for anything when you use a credit card. You have to pay for it later, but you have it imputed unto you. So this is what happened when the Lord, when Jesus came, the way he reconciled us unto himself was not by lowering the standard or saying, all right, now instead of having to do a hundred things, just do these five things or anything like that. He literally paid our debt for us. It would be similar to if you were going up to pay for something, let's say it cost $1,000 and you were getting ready to give them your credit card. He just steps up and pushes it aside and says, impute it unto me. Take my credit card. And, you know, if your debt was $1,000, it's like Jesus said, here, there's a million dollars on this one. Will that cover it? What Jesus paid for us was infinitely more than what you owed. Jesus had your sin, your transaction, transaction, your debt was imputed unto Jesus. It was put on his account. That's what this is talking about. Some people, when you start talking about the grace of God, they will start saying, so you're just making light of sin. And you're saying that it doesn't matter if you go live in sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. I've told you that there are consequences to the, in the natural realm to your sin. But with God, God's not going to punish you for your sin. But am I saying that sin doesn't count? No, he put that sin upon Jesus. If you ever understand this, it's not like God just saying, all right, from now on, I'm not going to hold men's sins against them. See, that's the way some people take grace that in the Old Testament, God held people's sins against them and he punished them. But in the New Testament, God doesn't hold people's sins against them. He just changed his mind and decided that he wouldn't impute sin unto people anymore. That's not what happened. Sin has to be paid. Sin is a transaction and God is a holy, just God and he couldn't let sin just go. But in the New Testament, he paid for your sins. He had all of your sin imputed to his son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took every sin that you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. And not only our sins, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 said he is the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus not only took the Christian sins, the people who he knew would believe on him, but he took the sin of every pervert, of every mass murderer, of every vile, ungodly thing that has ever happened or ever will happen on this earth, and he put all of that sin in his son. You know, I, again, if I could just talk fast enough, I could say this, but if you, let's just read right here. We've already read verse 19 in verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God has already reconciled us to him. His attitudes change. God's not imputing sin unto you. He imputed that sin unto his son, and God sees you sinless, even when you're in sin. 
Thank you for that thunderous silence. I know that I'm countering everybody's thoughts, but this is what these verses say. God doesn't hold sin against you. God's not mad at you. God's not upset with you. You're upset with yourself, but God's not upset with you. God doesn't see you as a sinner. John 4, 24 says God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in your spirit, you are righteous and truly holy. Ephesians 4, 24, in your spirit, you are as Jesus is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and on and on we could go. God is a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit and he doesn't see you as a sinner. He doesn't see you as a weak, terrible person. He doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. He has reconciled you to him. Now you need to reconcile him to yourself. In Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God has taken care of it. God's not holding sin against you, but you hold sin against you. You think, how could God love me? Because you don't understand. You're a new person. And even though you're still the same on the outside, you're still a male or a female, And in the soulish realm, you still got the same problems and the same background and the same memories and stuff. In the spirit, you are a totally brand new person. God's a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit and God doesn't see you as a sinner. He doesn't even notice sin in your life. If you could understand that, you could come boldly before the throne of God and you could receive from God. Did you know there's probably not a person in here that really doubts that God has the power to do whatever it is that you need. I've talked to some people here that have cancer, and they, they believe God can heal. That's why they came here. They don't doubt that God has the ability to heal, but where people miss it is they doubt that he will use his ability on your behalf because you don't feel worthy. You know what that is? You haven't reconciled yourself to God. God has reconciled you to him, but you haven't reconciled yourself. You still think that there is this enmity and that God is holding sin against you. But I'm telling you, God would not have put sin upon his son if you were also going to have to pay for it. He wouldn't have made this huge sacrifice if it didn't work, if it didn't accomplish it. Man, when he paid for your sins, your sins are paid for. In the sight of God, you are as pure and holy as Jesus is. And yet most people in here would never say something like that. That's because you don't see yourself in Christ. But in Christ, you've been reconciled to God. And in verse 21, for he, talking about God, hath made him, talking about Jesus, to be made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This says that God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus didn't just take a little bit of sin. It's not like that there was a token amount of sin placed upon him. Jesus became sin. Jesus, who was holy and pure, God in the flesh became vile. And I know that there's probably some people here that think that this is offensive and how dare you say this, but this is what the gospel message is. Jesus didn't just take a little bit of your sin. Jesus took all of your sin. You think right now about the worst thing you've ever done and how you felt and maybe the misery and the agony and the shame that you've been through. Jesus took that along with every other thing that you ever did. He felt exactly that way. 
and multiplied times billions and billions and billions of people. You know, when they showed the show, The Passion of the Christ, there were so many people just overwhelmed by that, thinking that, man, this is just greater than what I ever thought or imagined. And so I heard people talk about it. When I went to see the show, The Passion of the Christ, you know, I'm not criticizing Mel Gibson or his portrayal of it. I think he portrayed it as good as you can portray it. So I'm not critical of him. But when I saw it, I was expecting to have this overwhelming sense of God's love, and I was disappointed. I remember sitting there looking at the crucifixion thinking, God, this is not even close. This isn't even close to what Jesus suffered. All it's doing is portraying the physical suffering. But it didn't show how he became sin for us. It didn't show that he became a pervert. He took the sin of perversion, homosexuality, bestiality, every weird, ungodly sexual thing that has ever happened entered into the body of Jesus. He he became a murderer. He became a thief, a liar. He took all of this sin into himself. He didn't just do a little token thing. He suffered Sin, every sin, not only of you and me, but of every person that has ever breathed on this planet or ever will breathe, he paid for all of that sin. And he became sin. You know, real quickly, let me just refer to some of these things over in uh, Isaiah chapter 52. I'm going to try not to preach on this all night, but man, it's good. Isaiah chapter 52. Of course, chapter 53 is the great redemption chapter where it talks about how Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. And chapter 52, you got to remember men are the ones that put the chapter and verse divisions in there. This isn't a different thought. This is the same thing. It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. And it says in verse uh, Isaiah chapter 52 and in verse 14, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. The word visage means face. Jesus' face was marred more than any man's face that has ever been on this planet. And some people think that was through the beating. There isn't enough beating that the Romans could have done that caused this. He literally bore our sin. He bore God's wrath. He bore God's judgment. I had a man in Kansas City come to me. His name was Winston Churchill. He's now died and gone to be with the Lord. But this man came to me and he had a towel over his face like this and he wanted me to pray for him and I couldn't understand him because he was mumbling and he had this towel over his face and I tried but finally I said, you're going to have to remove the towel. And he removed the towel and cancer had eaten away his nose. He didn't have a nose. His lips, his cheeks were gone. And it was just raw flesh and stuff oozing out of it. And he wanted me to pray for him. And I tell you, it was gross looking. It was grotesque. At that same meeting, I had another man come who was a doctor. And cancer had eaten out of his eyeball and had come out of his eye and was all over this side of his face. And he wanted me to pray for him. I've seen some terrible things happen to people. And Jesus, his face looked worse than that. That wasn't the Roman beating that made that happen. It was the sin 
of this world. Have you ever seen how sin affects a person? Sometimes if you see a person that's been an alcoholic, a dope addict or something, and just been a terrible, lived a terrible life, you can see it on their face. I mean, it affects people. Mary Queen of Scots was a redhead. And the night before she was beheaded by her sister, she was uh, in the dungeon and just fear and terror came on her so much that she turned white head overnight. And the things that you experience on the inside affect your physical body. And Jesus took every wrinkle, every blemish, every sickness, every disease, every deformity, every birthmark, everything that has ever happened in the human race came into his physical body so that his face was marred more than any man. And it goes on to say, in his form, more than the sons of man. What that means is that he didn't even look human. He wasn't recognizable as a human being. Again, it wasn't the beating of the Romans that did this. As bad as the beating of the Romans is, that sti- he still would have looked like a person. In Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, it still looked like a human body, just a brutalized human body. But these scriptures say that he didn't even look human. I've seen pictures of people that have these uh, tumors and um, I don't know what they call it, but elephantitis and all of these different things where your body swells and different things. And I mean, just grotesque looking. Multiply that times billions and billions of people on this planet. And Jesus literally took our sickness and our disease into his own body on the tree. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 talks about that. By his stripes we were healed. And he took all of this stuff and Jesus suffered all of the wrath, all of the punishment of God for your and my sins in his physical body. The Lord didn't just decide, all right, I'm going to quit imputing sins. No, he imputed sins. He just didn't impute it to you. He imputed it to Jesus. Your sins are paid for. Not only the sins that you committed in the past, But all of your sins, even the sins you haven't committed yet, are already paid for. Man, that's a new revelation to some people. I was taught that God forgave my past sins, but every time I sinned, it was a brand new offense, and I had to go and get that sin under the blood, and I lost my fellowship with God until I got back into relationship with Him, and until I got it confessed, and until I groveled in the dirt and was miserable for a length of time to equal the sin that I had done, And I'd have to, in a sense, pay for it and stuff. But man, Jesus paid for all of my sins. Even the ones I haven't committed are already paid for. The sins of the whole world are paid for. God is not imputing people's sins unto them. And sad to say, Christians are. Christians are telling people that, man, God's angry at you. God won't bless you. God won't answer your prayer. God won't heal you until you do this and this and this. God won't bless you and we are still holding people's sins against them. The message that sets people free is that God is not mad at you. He's paid for your sins. He paid the debt that you couldn't pay and it's paid for and God doesn't have any anger in him for you anymore. God is never going to reject you. You'll hear Christians all of the time say, well, I was doing this and man, God's wrath was on me and God was just making me miserable. It's not God that's making you miserable. It's religion and your own conscience. And of course, the devil takes advantage of sin and he will persecute you and you will suffer if you go out and live in sin. But it's not God that's doing it. God's not mad at you. 
God's not holding your sins against you. The Lord has paid for all of it and he would be unjust to make Jesus pay for your sins and you also pay for them. Some people think, well, you're just making light of sin. No, you're making light of sin if you don't agree with what I'm saying because you're saying that Jesus didn't pay it all. You're saying that he only paid a portion and that we also have to pay for part of our sin. No, Jesus paid it all. People who don't understand this are actually making light of the atonement of Jesus. I think sin is terrible, but I think that the atonement of Jesus is infinitely greater than whatever your debt was. It'd be like if you had a thousand dollar debt and I come up and say, here's a million dollars. Will that cover it more than enough? You know, if you were to give your credit card and somebody else came up and said, no, put it on my credit card. And so you get the merchandise and you leave the store and it was imputed to somebody else. What would you think if they sent you a bill (laughs) saying, well, somebody else paid for it, but you know what? You got the merchandise, so we want you to pay at least 25%. You got to do something. You'd say, no, I don't. They paid for it. And if they paid for it all, then why do I have to pay anything at all? But see, Christians, they will sit there and say, well, at least I'm not going to hell. The Lord paid for it. It's not as bad as it would have been, but I still am going to pay for it. And he won't fellowship with me if I've got any sin in my life. He won't answer my prayer. He won't use me and things like this. What that is saying is that, no, he didn't pay for it all. You still have to pay for part of it. And the reason I bring all of these things up is to say this is the way he reconciled you unto himself. The only way to have this harmony, the only way to understand the love of God and to walk in the love of God is if you understand that all of your sin, your unrighteousness, your ungodliness, your human frailties, your attitude, every rotten thing that you've ever done or ever will done do has already been put on Jesus. It's already paid for. And God isn't overlooking your sin and just turning a blind eye to it. He paid for it. It's done. He is just to love you. He is justified to love you. He's justified to use you even when you have sin in your life. And I know some of you think, man, you can't say things like this. You're going to encourage people to go live in sin. Did you know, I've had people say, you're just giving them a license to sin. And I tell people, they're sinning pretty good without a license. Amen. (laughs) When you understand this, it's like Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, I believe it is, the love of Christ constrains us. If you could ever understand this message and understand how much he loved you, that he paid for your sins and made his son suffer who didn't deserve it, He was holy and he was pure. He didn't deserve any of it. And yet Jesus paid for every one of your sins, every rotten thought, every failure, not only of you but of the whole human race. If you could ever get a hold of that, it would show you the love of God. You would be so thankful for the love that God has given towards you that you would serve him more accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. You would live for him more. If you ever understood how passionate God is and how much he paid for you, you know what that does? That raises the value on you. God paid a huge price to redeem you and reconcile you unto himself. And if you ever got hold of that, it would make you serve him with your whole heart. 
See, this is what happened to me. I got born again when I was eight years old. And I was a Christian, and I served God to a degree. I read the Bible every day of my life. I never went through a period of rebellion. I never have turned away from God. I've been seeking God my whole life. But from the time I was eight until I was 18, I was just doing it thinking that this was a debt that I owed God. And I had it in my mind that God loved me and would move in my life proportional to how holy I lived. And so I was living holier than anybody I knew trying to earn God's favor. I wasn't really experiencing the love of God, but I believed he loved me. I believed that his power was available, and I thought if I'd just do more, if I would just live holier, then eventually God would start answering my prayers. My dad died when I just turned 12 years old, and I, I prayed for six months and fasted as an 11-year-old that God would heal my dad. And when he wasn't healed, I didn't doubt that God healed. I just thought that I wasn't holy enough. I hadn't sought him enough. And so I started seeking him more. And every time something would happen, I'd pray. And if I didn't get my prayers answered, I never doubted that God was the problem. I just thought it, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And so I was doing more. You know, I'll turn 64 next month and... I've never said a word of profanity in all of my years. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I, I used to have a reoccurring dream that I had smoked a cigarette and they caught me and turned me into the police and the police turned me over to my mother and I, wake, I would wake up burning in hell because I'd smoked a cigarette. It just terrified me to think that I could smoke a cigarette. I mean, I was living for God, but it was out of debt, out of obligation, trying to earn the favor of God. And I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. I was painfully shy. And yet, I forced myself to go through the soul-winning courses. I went out on Tuesday and Thursday nights, and I witnessed to people, and I would knock on doors. I had memorized a spiel. And I could lead people to the Lord. When I was 13 and 14 years old, they had me up in front of the church. And they would ask me how many people I led to the Lord. And I'd tell them. And everybody would pat me on the back and say, isn't this awesome? And I was doing all of these things. But I was doing it trying to gain God's approval and gain people's approval. But did you know after this experience, and I experienced God's love, and it was on an unconditional basis. It was right when for the first time in my life I realized that I had become a modern-day Pharisee, and I repented, and I, I confessed things that I didn't even realize were sin. I turned myself inside out, and I for the first time realized that compared to God's standard of holiness, I was a sinner. And that I had sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I mean, I abhorred myself what I saw. And at that moment, when I finally ran up a white flag and took away all my disguises and realized that I was a mess, that's when God's love came. So I experienced His love, and I intuitively knew it had nothing to do with my goodness because it came when for the first time in my life I realized that all of my righteousness, self-righteousness, was like filthy rags. And I experienced God's love, so I knew it had nothing to do with me. And when I experienced that unconditional, undeserved love, man, instead of going out and living in sin because now God loves me, I got a thousand times more committed to God. I became a stark, raving, mad fanatic overnight. 
man, I started, with, I had been out on Tuesday and Thursday night and I psyched myself up and I'd sit in the car before I'd go out and knock on the door and I'd have to pray and, oh God, help me to do this. I didn't want to do it. I actually would pray and say, God, don't let there be anybody home <laughs> because I got credit, see, for knocking on the doors whether they were there or not. And I, so I would pray, oh God, don't let there be anybody home. But after this experience, I quit going out on Tuesday and Thursday night and doing visitations because I realized I was passing up a hundred people every day. And I started witnessing to everything that moved. I'd go into a restaurant and I'd stand up and pray at the top of my lungs over my food. And every, when I got through, everybody would be looking at me and I'd say, your food needs to be blessed too. Do you know Jesus? And I was obnoxious. But man, you talk about changed. I was serving God more motivated by love than I ever was out of debt. A person who says, if you preach on the grace of God and tell them that he's imputed all of their sins unto Jesus and he's not holding their sins against them, you're just going to free people to go live in sin. No, what you're going to do is free them from condemnation and help them to understand how much God loves them. And then the love of Christ will constrain you to serve God more accidentally than you ever did on purpose before. You know, like I said, I was knocking on these doors and stuff, but I was in my heart praying, don't let there be anybody home. And I'd knock on five doors on Tuesday and five doors on Thursday. After this experience, we quit doing our Tuesday and Thursday night visitation and we started witnessing. We actually divided the city up into sections and we started knocking on every door. And our goal was to knock on hundreds of thousands of doors and share the gospel with every person. And we didn't know what we were doing, so we started in the rich section. And you know, the scripture says that the poor heard Jesus gladly, and we didn't understand. We started in the rich section, and man, these people just scoffed at us, and they ridiculed us. We were kicked out. They told us, get off our property. We were treated rude. People, you know, I'd say, are you a Christian? And I had people literally pull coins out of their pocket and says, of course, it says right here in God we trust. They didn't have a clue what a Christian was. They thought because they had it on their coin that that made them a Christian. So we started coming up with ways to get past this, and we came up with the Christian survey. And we said, we're doing a Christian survey. We'd have a notepad and uh, paper, uh, what a clipboard, and we'd do that, and we'd ask all of these questions and stuff, and all we were after was the bottom one. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And we just used this as a gimmick to get them to listen to us and to take a survey. And when we got back in the car, we threw all the stuff away. We weren't doing a survey. We were using gimmicks to get people to listen to us. And I remember one day I was out knocking on doors and I'd had four or five people just slam doors in my face. I don't want to talk to you. And I said, God, I'm going to get this next woman to talk to me if I have to stick my foot in the door. And I said, and, I, and instead of saying, oh God, don't let there be anybody home, I was saying, oh God, just send me to the homes where there's somebody to talk to. What a difference. And anyway, I was just walking up to this woman's house and I was saying, oh Jesus, show me how to minister to this person. And this woman opened up the door and she had her chain on. And so she only opened it like this with that little safety chain. And she was looking through there and she says, what do you want? And I said, praise God, I finally found a Christian. And she says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? See, that was already better than people trying to convince me that they were a Christian. She says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And I said, well, you got this scripture on your fence out here. 
And she says, scripture. And she undid that thing and walked out on the porch. She says, what scripture do I have on my fence? And I just turned over to Philippians chapter three, verse two, where it says, beware of dogs. And I kept reading, amen. (laughs) And I was able to read all of Philippians chapter three to her before she left and quit. But I'm saying, see what it does when you fall in love with God. When you're motivated out of love, it changes everything. Instead of saying, oh God, don't let there be home, you start using beware of dogs as scripture. (laughs) Amen. I'm telling you, you don't need to be afraid of, well, if I don't go around feeling unworthy and feeling deprived, I wouldn't seek God. It's the opposite. If you ever understood how much Jesus loved you and what he's done for you, you would give up bubble gum if you thought it would please him. And you'd give up anything. God, I'll do anything. Is there anything I can do for you? You've done so much for me. And you would start serving God out of gratitude for what you've already got instead of trying to do something to earn what you don't have. And you'll find out that the whole Christian life isn't us trying to obtain victory. We've already got it. Now we're trying to release and just cooperate and flow with what God's already done. You don't have to do something to be healed by God. You've already been healed. God's already placed the supernatural power of God that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of every born-again believer. You've already got it. You don't need to get it. You've got it. You need to release it. And you release it by understanding the goodness of God and resting in it and appropriating what he's already done. The moment you get into this mindset of, God, I'm going to try and do something and now you will be pleased with me. You're back into the law. You're back into works. And that is the, you know, the only sin that God cannot move through. As bad as I hate homosexuality because it's terribly destructive to our whole society and to the individuals, I hate it. But did you know what's worse than homosexuality and what's worse than murder and what's worse than adultery? It's self-righteousness. You trusting in yourself. You thinking that, God, now you'll move in my life because I'm holy and I've been seeking you. That's the one sin that God cannot overcome. You are trusting in yourself. I have people come in our meetings and they stand there and they'll... They'll say, why hadn't God healed me? I fast, I pray, I study the word, I'm going to church, I pay my tithes, I do this, this, and this. Why hasn't God healed me? You just said why God hadn't healed you. Because you didn't point to what Jesus did for you. You pointed to what you did for Jesus and you think God is going to reward you for your actions. God moves in your life because of what Jesus did and your faith in him. That's the reason we pray and say, in the name of Jesus, When you say in the name of Jesus, you're saying, I claim no merit, no worth on my own. I do not deserve this. I'm coming through Jesus, through what he did. My faith is in Jesus. And if you don't mean that when you're saying that, if you, you know, it's become just like a religious cliche. People will pray their prayer and they'll say, oh God, I'm living holy. Now I know you're going to move in my life in the name of Jesus. You've just used the name of Jesus in vain. You've taken the name of Jesus in vain. There may be somebody that would never 
uh, use profanity and curse and use the name of Jesus. But anytime you point to your own goodness and your own holiness and believe that God now somehow or another owes you something and then you end that prayer within the name of Jesus, you have used the name of Jesus in vain. You have desecrated it by mixing it with your own goodness. Amen. I tell you, this is some powerful, powerful stuff that the vast majority of the body of Christ does not understand. Most of us have been taught a performance-based relationship with God. And we think that God, somehow or another, will not have fellowship with you and won't love you passionately if you haven't done everything right. And you'll listen to me, you'll listen to these other instructors talk about what God has done and some of the wonderful things that have happened in our life and you say, oh, I want that. But the problem is that you, you think somehow or another we deserve it more than you do. I'm telling you, God's never had anybody qualified yet. God never gives anybody anything because they deserve it. And it is your focus on yourself and your own condemnation that you're feeling that's stopping the power of God from operating in your life. If you could understand how God loves you unconditionally, not based on what you've done, but he took all of your sins and put them on Jesus. And not only that, I didn't amplify this, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says... Not only did your sins get placed on Jesus, but all of his righteousness got placed to you. God imputed your sins to Jesus and imputed his righteousness to you. You are now as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is in your spirit. Not in your physical body and not in your minds, but in your spirit. And remember John 4, 24, God is a spirit and he sees you in the spirit and God is just awesome. He loves you. He's pleased with you. He's not upset with you. You're upset with yourself. You can't lose weight. You don't study the word as much. You got mad at your mate. You had an argument. You did this and this and you hold those things against yourself thinking that if you feel this way, well then holy God must really dislike you. But man, it's not that way at all. God has totally taken all of that sin away. There's not any sin remaining in your spirit. And instead he has placed the righteousness of Jesus. It says that right there, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You are the righteousness of God. And yet I hear Christians all of the time, oh God, just make me righteous. Get born again. Oh, well, I am born again, but I need to be righteous. You're looking on the outside again. You're looking at your mistakes and stuff, but in the spirit, you are already righteous. And if you would start focusing on who you already are and what Jesus did for you, then as you think in your heart, that's the way that your life will go. If you started seeing yourself as the beloved of God, that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus that he loves you as much as he loves any single person. He loves you. And if you would quit condemning yourself and reconcile yourself unto God and believe that he has made you friendly and that you are the righteousness of God, if you really believe that, I guarantee you, man, it's all over but the shouting. 
I mean, you are going to have one awesome life. And you think that way, and you know what? You won't go live in sin. You'll start living above sin. If you're truly born again, you don't want to live in sin. That's what the scripture says. God changes your heart. But many Christians are still having sin have dominion over them because they aren't under grace. They're under the law. It says in, I think it's Romans 4, 15, somewhere around there, but sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. That might be Romans 6, 15, but it's, I could find it. Amen. Sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are under the law, sin is having dominion over you. If you are still under a performance-based relationship, thinking that you still have to do things to reconcile yourself unto God, if it's based on your performance, then that's the reason sin is having dominion over you. If you are trapped by sin, if you're being drawn towards sin and it just seems like you can't overcome it, you are a person that hasn't understood God's unconditional love. You haven't understood how much he reconciled you. When you understand this, it breaks the dominion of sin. The reason people go and get drunk is because their life is so miserable they need an escape. They can't face things and so they just drown it. The reason they go out and do drugs, the reason they do sex and all of this stuff is because they are hungry and they're looking for something that they don't have. You ever experience how much God loves you? And I guarantee you, you'll never lust for anything but Jesus. You'll be so satisfied that the dominion of sin will be broken over you and you are not under the dominion of sin anymore. Brothers and sisters, Jesus paid everything. There's nothing left to pay. It's not Jesus plus you. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing except faith in what he did equals everything. If you mix your goodness with God's goodness then you've just polluted it. And basically, the church world will acknowledge that you can't save yourself. You need Jesus, but they don't say you need Jesus only. You need Jesus plus you have to do these things. So they mix their own goodness with it. And the moment you mix anything with Jesus, you have polluted it. You know, I heard a story about a preacher who his son wanted to go see an X-rated or an R-rated movie or something like that. And so he asked his father, he says, can I go to this movie? And the father asked, what's it rated? And he began to tell him. And he says, well, it's got an R rating, but it's not really bad. There's just a little bit of nudity, just a brief moment. There's just a little bit of profanity, but it's not bad. All of my friends, other church people are going to say, please, dad, can I go see it? And his dad told him, no, you cannot go. And the son just thought this was absolutely unreasonable. So the father, to compensate, said, you can bring your friends over to the house. So he brought them over to the house, and they were playing at the house and doing things, and the dad made them brownies. And, man, he had these brownies, and he brought them out, and they were hot out of the oven, and everybody wanted one, and so he gave them each one, and right before they ate it, he says, now let me tell you, there's just a little bit of dog poop in there. I didn't put enough in. It's not going to make you sick. You won't be able to taste it. It's not going to do any damage. It's not much, but there's just a little bit of dog poop in there. You know what? They didn't need a one of them. 
Well, see, that's the way it is with Jesus' righteousness. You're either justified by what he did or you're justified by what you do, but you cannot mix the two. The moment you mix your poop with his <laughs> righteousness, you've defiled the whole thing. Amen? Man, you need to recognize it. God paid it all. This is what Daniel was talking about. We aren't trying to get into the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, that's what they did. There was a veil that separated them. But in the New Testament, the veil is rent. And we now have access. We live there. We aren't trying to be reconciled unto God. We aren't trying to get God to heal us. We aren't trying to get God to prosper us. We aren't trying to get God to take away our emotional problems. It's all already done. And all you've got to do is begin to understand what he's already done and receive it. And you just live there. And I tell you, when you do that, it changes your life. It sets you free from sin, not free to go live in sin. It'll give you so much power knowing that God Almighty loves you and that He's on your side that you won't go out and yield yourself to all of these beggarly things. You'll live holier than you've ever lived before. Amen? This is the gospel. And the Bible says, Romans 1, 16, the gospel is the power of God. The reason most people aren't living a powerful life is because they aren't preaching the true gospel. They're imputing their sins. They're saying, oh, sure, there's a God. Sure, Jesus came and died. But if you don't get a full revelation of what he did, if you think he only paid a portion and you've got to pay the rest, you aren't living the gospel. The gospel is specifically talking about that Jesus paid it all. There's nothing that you can give. The only thing you have to offer God is your sin. And then he gives you his righteousness. Amen. And if you can understand this, it'll set you free. This is what changed my life, March the 23rd, 1968. Man, I've never gotten over it. I never plan on getting over it. And I've been sharing this now for 45 years, probably about 42 years, 43 years with some understanding and trying to share it with people. And I am seeing people all over the world, their lives change, because most people don't know this. The church realm, not all of it. There are good churches, but much of the church realm is not preaching the true gospel, and people are living with the sin consciousness, thinking that God is still holding their sins against them. They don't understand that all of our sins were imputed unto Jesus, and all of his righteousness was imputed unto me. And I tell you, that's what liberates you. That's what sets you free. Amen? Amen. That is awesome. You know, I don't want to take this for granted that every person here is born again. I pray that you're all born again, but it's possible that some of you were drugged here against your will. It's possible that somebody here doesn't really know Jesus. Or it's also possible, you know, there's a lot of people that are religious and they go to church And they think that because I go to church and because I'm a relatively moral person that surely God is going to accept me. That's not true. You say, well, I believe in God. The Bible says in James 2, 19, you believe that there's a God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You've got to do more than believe that there's a God. You've got to do what the devil has never done and that is that you have to make Jesus your Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
you have to make Jesus your Lord. That doesn't mean that you're promising that you'll never sin again, that you'll never do anything wrong, but you have to be willing to turn your life over and serve Him and accept Him as your personal Savior. If you've never done that, even if you acknowledge that He exists, and even if you think that you're a relatively good person, you're going to split hell wide open. Because prior to making Jesus your Lord, you have a nature that was separated from God, and you have to be changed on the inside. This is what Jesus called being born again, or born from above. If you've never had that, you need to receive that. And then also, once you get born again, that's what produces God coming on the inside of you. But what releases God to come out of you and flow out of you is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, and they had seen him resurrected from the dead. They had the greatest message that the world has ever heard. And yet he told them, don't tell anybody. Don't share with a single person until you receive power from on high. And on the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. And when it came, they spoke with other tongues. Did you know in the, temp- in the tabernacle, the very first sacrifice, which was symbolic of Jesus, they sanctified the temple and they killed this sacrifice and laid everything on the altars and the fire from heaven fell and consumed the sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 9. Then when they, des- when they consecrated the temple, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, and Solomon did all of these things and they offered a sacrifice, a fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And from that time on, they never made fire. They just kept putting fire on the fire that had already fallen. This is the reason that Nadab and Abihu, two priests, were killed because they offered strange fire. They offered fire that didn't come from heaven. They created fire on their own and God killed them because it was strange fire. And guess what? On the day of Pentecost, when the new temple was dedicated, which now we don't worship a building, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost came and indwelt the temples for the very first time, cloven tongues of fire came over them. God dedicated the temple with fire. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. You receive power. You are baptized with water and with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I tell you, something happens when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Somebody says, do I have to speak in tongues? You get to speak in tongues. It's an awesome thing. God's not going to make you speak in tongues. Somebody says, well, are you saying that you aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues? No, I received the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues. Right now, I'm not speaking in tongues, and I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you, baptism of the Holy Spirit includes speaking in tongues. It's like a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all come with tongues. Amen. Every one of you, if you receive the Holy Spirit, He'll give you this ability to bypass your brain and your doubt and unbelief and pray out of your spirit and release the power of God. So every single person in here, every person watching by the internet, every one of you need to be born again to make Jesus your Lord and to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You know, if you don't have that, you need to receive it. 
right now. Is there anybody here who would raise your hand and say, I'd like to receive one or both of those, and I'd like you to pray with me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's a few people here. Anybody else? Be bold with this. Be bold. I know here's another one over here. This is, I think, three people. There's probably more. You know, just like Penny was sharing tonight, she came here and didn't know that we were those people that talk in tongues. You might have come to this campus, Daisy, because I don't get on television and shout and spit and say glory to God. You may not have realized that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I am. And so you may be thinking, man, I'm not sure. What are you going to make me do? I haven't got a church for you to join. I'm not going to do anything. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to give you a free book. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, I'd like to ask you to get up out of your chair. Come forward right now, and we're going to pray for you and help you to receive salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just come forward right now, and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Going to change your life. God bless you. Isn't this awesome? Praise the Lord. God bless you. You know, there was only three people that raised your hands, and yet look at me here down here. You know, I believe that there's some others out there, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to kind of wait and see what happens. You know what? That's not faith. You can't receive this by, by sight. You have to receive it by faith. If you know that you need something more in your life, and if you haven't received this baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, you need to be down here. Somebody says, well, they don't preach this in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. That doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm telling you that this is right. This has changed my life. It'll change you. I just know in my heart that there's some people still out there and don't come up to me after this service and say, well, I have this question. I wasn't sure. If you wait until you get every question answered, you're never going to receive. You're going to have to take a step of faith. Now, that doesn't mean it's a blind step of faith, but you need to take a step of faith. If you know that God's dealing with you, you just need to come. Don't come, up after, don't come up after the service and say, would you please pray for me? I'm not going to do it. If you're going to receive, come right now. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to change your life. I believe y'all are going to be stronger than horseradish. I tell you what, this transformed my life. This is a great place to start. You know, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues, the first thing is you have to make sure that you've been born again and received Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain, not just hoping so, wishing so, but you aren't certain that Jesus is your personal Savior and that you've been born again. You need to first of all pray and make Jesus your Lord. Is there anybody like that? I need to pray with you first before we can pray for something else. Anybody? 
Are you all sure? If you were to die right this moment, do you know that you would go to be with the Lord? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. If you aren't sure, you know, you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus. It won't work unless you've already made Jesus your Lord. All right, so if everybody up here has already done that, then according to the Bible, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what the Scripture says. That means that He created you to be a dwelling place for His Holy Spirit. This is what you were created for. When you got born again, God made you a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to wonder, will He give me the Holy Spirit? This is what you were created for. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people will teach that you got to have all sin out of your life and you can't have any problems because God won't fill a dirty vessel. If you've listened to what I've said tonight, you understand that that's not true. He's imputed all of your sin unto Jesus. And so God's not holding back because of anything. If you've got sin in your life, you are a prime candidate for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you this power to help you overcome these things. Amen. So don't let some sense of unworthiness stop you from receiving. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's that simple. All you got to do is ask. We're going to just open up the doors of our temple and give him freedom to come in. He won't force himself on you. You have to welcome him. You have to invite him. So in a sense, we're just going to like open up our hearts and say, Lord, we want to receive your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues. I know some of you may not understand how important it is. This book I'll give you will explain it, but you want everything that God's got for you. And we're just going to open up our heart and welcome him. So I'd like to ask, uh, who do, do we have some of our students that have been trained for this? Where are they? I'd like to ask these students that have been trained to come up here and help minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to come up here and stand behind you. And the reason is that we're going to open up our hearts and welcome the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was given unto people when they laid their hands on them. They laid their hands on them and they received. So we're going to pray with you and release this power of the Holy Spirit that we've received and release it into you. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Then they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit. And after they lay hands on you, then I want you to quit asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's an appropriate time to ask, but then there's a time to quit asking and just thank Him and believe that God did what He said He would do. I don't care what you feel like. We aren't going by feelings. You're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. And then I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like this. Because when you lift your hands, the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. It's a sign of giving up. Lord, I yield. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to start thanking God. Lift your hands. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues. And as we pray in tongues, the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. So we're going to start just thanking God. And as we start worshiping God's praying in tongues, I want you to join in with us and just start speaking in tongues. And I know some of you think, well, how do you do this? What do you do? 
I've got a book that will explain the whole thing. I haven't, I'm not going to take all night to tell you everything I know about it, but this book will explain it and it will help you. But if you're ready, you can do it right now. One thing I want to share with you, the number one thing that kept me from praying in tongues and keeps most people is a false uh, understanding that they think the Holy Spirit is going to take control of you and force you to speak in tongues. That you could put your hand over your mouth and it just comes out. It's a static. You can't control it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you to do it. You have to talk. It's just like when I preach tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. I believe it was inspired by God. But if I would have just said, oh God, speak through me and then open up my mouth and wait on God to make it talk, you'd still be looking at me. There wouldn't have been a word said. God didn't force me to say a word I said. I said it. It was me talking. That's the reason it came out in Texan. It came out with my examples and my personality. It's me that taught, but God inspired it. Speaking in tongues is like that. You've got to speak. You have to make a sound. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and start speaking. So if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear one of the students behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. Just start making sounds. Quit worrying about it. And as you go on and get over the newness of it, you'll find out it's inspired. It just flows out of you and it builds you up. And this book will explain the whole thing to you. So everybody understand what we're going to do? You ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, that according to their own confession, they've all made you their Lord. And so we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We just open up the doors of these temples. And Holy Spirit, we want your power in our life. We want you to come and burn up all of the junk that's in our flesh. That, Father, you would give us understanding that the Holy Spirit would give us power. We want your presence and your ministry in our life. We want this gift of speaking in tongues so that we can bypass our brains and pray right out of this born-again part of us that is righteous and holy. So we open up the doors of these temple and Holy Spirit, come and fill us now in the mighty name of Jesus. We lay hands on you in Jesus' name. And we release this power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, flow into their lives. We thank you that power and anointing flows through every one of these and that you now come and dwell in us. That just becomes a dwelling place. That you take up permanent residence in us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's start lifting your hands and praise God that you've already got the Holy Spirit. Start thanking Him for giving you the Holy Spirit. And those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. Quit praying in English. You can't pray in English and tongues at the same time. So now, quit praying in English and just start speaking in tongues. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a little baby first talks, nobody but the parent knows what they're trying to say. They say, that's not daddy. 
but that father knows what that child is trying to say. It may not be fluent. It may not sound like a real language to you, but I guarantee your heavenly father is hearing your heart. You're praying out of your born again spirit. And I tell you, power is being released. You don't have any of the confusion and the unbelief that comes from your brain. It's coming out of your spirit. Just speak right now and worship the Lord. And this is one of the first times that your born-again spirit is just released to pray and communicate with God without your confusion and unbelief. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Just speak. Hallelujah. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you in the spirit, you're praying wisdom and mysteries, the hidden wisdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for filling all of these with the Holy Spirit because you promised that you would. So we thank you for it. We receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let me have your... You can still hear me. But you know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. The first time I asked for the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist and I had been taught that this was of the devil and I just had so much fear. God's not going to force you to do it. And so it took me a long time to renew my mind, but I've written everything that I know about this in a book and I, nobody had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did, but I wrote down all of my wrong conceptions and this book, I've given it to thousands and thousands of people and they, after they read it, they speak in tongues and great things happen. So I want to give every one of you a book. Whether you experience something right now, I can promise you that what you got is bigger than what you understand. This is the second most important thing outside of being born again that will ever happen to you. And you've got to understand it to get the full benefit of it. So I'd like to give every one of you a book. And if you will take it and read it, I promise you it'll help you. And this will be one of the greatest things that's ever happened to you. It's going to be a life-changing experience. So how are we going to give away these books? Uh, right down this way, who's is Mark right here? Mark uh, is going to lead you over to a place and give you a book. It'll only take a moment. If you have any questions, there's somebody there that will answer your questions and help you any way they could. But just follow Mark right here, the guy in the white shirt with his Bible up. He'll take you and give you a book, and you can come back in just a few minutes. Praise the Lord. Let's praise God for these. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You know, if they would, I'd like to ask these prayer ministers to stay down here in the front. We're going to have a healing school tomorrow, and we're going to be praying for you until we rub all the hair off the top of your head. Amen. So there's going to be plenty of ministry, but some of you may need prayer tonight. You might 
need to be healed so you can sleep tonight so that you'll be able to come back tomorrow. Whatever your situation is, we don't want to pass up an opportunity. And rather than me or one of the instructors having to pray for you, this is one of the things that we do. We're making disciples. It's not all about one personality. It's Jesus that does it. And we have people that have been made disciples. They see miracles happen. We are seeing more miracles happen now through our students than I ever saw happen just through me by myself. And so um, if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to offer these students to you, these prayer ministers to come down and lay hands on you. If you need prayer for anything, just come forward right now. And we've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to help direct you towards somebody so that everybody just won't go to one place. Please cooperate with that. But if you need prayer, come right now. The rest of you, we're going to let you go. Do we have... Okay, so tonight you're just dismissed, but tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, we have a continental breakfast, and it's really good. They have a great spread here. It'll start at 7 o'clock. Remember, our services start at 8 o'clock in the morning. So come at 7. If you need to be dismissed, God bless you. If you need prayer, come and let someone pray with you and agree. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you tomorrow.